up your backup plan tribe i'm to another awesome awesome podcast today and as you can see i am moving in the background but it's all good um just pretend that it's um well just be happy it's not you moving maybe there is some people out there that are moving too but I'm so happy to be here. You guys take my breath away each and every time. Um, if you don't, if you're new here to our show, I'm Tina. I am the creator and developer of your backup plan app. I am um, a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye, just like that. Do you remember Jeannie? Just like that, your life changes in a snap. In the blink of your eye, it's literally when someone takes their last breath in a car accident when you blink and you're hit, um, floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, it's around the world each and every day. And we need to have a better plan in place of emergency preparedness. And that's what I'm here for. I'm also an emergency preparedness coach. I'm so happy that you guys are here today. We have a very special show called Compassion in Crisis helping parents through a heartbreaking loss of a child and pregnancy. And I put both of them in there because I'm going to adjust the show a little bit to pregnancy because it definitely is an awesome explanation of how it can differ just a little bit from losing a child and losing a pregnancy. It's similar but different all at the same time. Um, we run all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, podcast platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. I need to make a song about that. I think there should be like, you know, like a rap song or something with all those social media. But we talk about real life stories with really amazing guests on our shows about their life changing events and tragedies, trauma, sickness, and accidents. And in the blink of an eye, yeah, that's how quickly something life-changing happens and unexpectedly happens to you. And sometimes we're given a five-minute evacuation notice and sometimes, you know, we don't. And we should be very, feel very blessed when we do. Um, and in most cases, I'm going to move over just a hair here. The, the TV is kind of distracting me here. Let me fix that. There we go. What we do to make our show work, <laughs> even when we're moving. <laughs> But all that being said, I want to thank you for listening to our show today because we have a very special guest called Sabrina Fletcher, and she comes to us from Mexico today. And we're going to have a short commercial and bring her back in and introduce her. Welcome back to our show called Compassion and Crisis, helping parents through a heartbreaking loss of a pregnancy or a loss of a child. And we're going to bring Sabrina Fletcher in here from Mexico, and she can tell us all about herself. I'm so excited to have you here, Sabrina, all the way from Mexico. Hi, How Tina. Are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. I'm doing well. And you're a TFMR thanks, thanks for doula. This space. Oh, sorry. Maybe. I think there's a delay. Yeah. I keep talking over <laughs> It's okay. I think there's, uh, it's very interesting because you're a TFMR doula. 
And there might be some people out there. What does that mean, Sabrina? Yes. So it is not an uncommon type of pregnancy loss, but uncommonly spoken about because of silence and shaming that's around this type of pregnancy loss. So TFMR stands for termination for medical reasons. And this is the type of pregnancy loss that happens when there is a poor prenatal diagnosis, either in the baby or in the pregnant person, or sometimes the condition is such that it's affecting both. I didn't realize that until I heard in the States with with abortion issues. And some of the women actually need to have an abortion for medical reasons. So that that's, that's very difficult. I hear that's quite a controversy in the United States. So where yeah, did all there was recently a big case that was happening in Texas where um, a lot of Texas women came and they presented their cases of Um, you know, a child who had no kidneys and so they would not survive or, um, you know, grave sickness in the mother and, and how that was all affected because of the laws. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how common it actually is because you don't really hear about it. And so we're, So this took you to this doula position in your life. Where did it all start for you then? It started for me when I went through it myself. So this happened to me in 2018. Um, I had just married my long-term partner. We had a child together. We thought, okay, we'll do this wedding. We'll do all the fertility stuff, take all the, uh, you know, take all the vitamins this time, do it all right, get married. Um, And we got pregnant pretty much right away. She was our little honeymoon baby. And um, our other daughter uh, was so excited. She would, you know, sing to my belly every day. And she was excited that she was going to be a big sister. And we were all, yeah, just so ready for this other child to come into our life told all our families at Christmas, New Year's. um, But then something was very wrong uh, with the baby. Uh, We found out during an ultrasound, the doctor went silent. It's that silence that you never want to experience where you just know something bad is coming after the silence. And um, he was taking lots of pictures and sort of pushing really hard with the wand on my stomach during the ultrasound scan. And then he started to tell us everything that he was seeing, the condition that our baby had, and the prognosis was very poor. Um, He said probably her heart will stop, you know, at some point. Uh, He was seeing that her whole body had swelling, swelling all over the head, all over the back of the neck was so severe that um, it even had another name, another condition called cystic hygroma. Um, So there were like two other cysts of swelling in the back. Um, And 
you know, he he assumed that whatever the underlying cause was, was then causing these conditions. Um, and actually, because of the laws in this country and in the state where I live, um, we didn't have any time, um, you know, to do more extensive genetic testing. Although really, um, our, our minds were made up with what was already, what we were already seeing, what, um, what was already going on, no matter the cause. Although I still do, you know, I really hate that part of my story that because of these restrictive laws, I was not able to find, you know, the full picture or why. And sometimes people do end up getting an amniocentesis or some other sort of test to, to look for a genetic issue. And sometimes it's not found or it's such a new little switch in the chromosomes that the test doesn't pick it up. Or, you know, there's so many things that go wrong. Um, like we were talking about before we went live, um, one in four pregnancies don't make it to term. So a lot of people know this pain of losing a baby uh, yeah. in utero, uh, losing a child. Um, and Yeah, because you don't have to have it in your arms and see it with your eyes to know that it's your baby and the loss is still the same for grief. Um, it's, it's probably, it might even be a little bit more because you've had to make decisions and you don't want to have to make those decisions. And um, I yeah, think like I said, this was a wanted pregnancy. I didn't, I did, I didn't want to have an abortion. Yeah, you know, when I was making my birth plan, there's no abortion on my birth plan. There's, no. I want to use this, you know, the bouncy ball and comfort measures and have aromatherapy and. Yeah, know. yeah, and it's um. And you don't have to know the baby. You don't have to know its personality. You don't have to know what it looks like to even feel the loss of something that you've been wanting. And it's usually the those people that really, really want it. <laughs> you know, it's not like the spur of the moment pregnancy. Usually it's the one that you've really struggled to, to get to or whether it's career based or, you know, you waited till it was the perfect time yeah. it never is the perfect time right no so where did that how did that feel for you then having to make what kind of decisions did you have to make so the doctor at that point in 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 that appointment he said if you decide to continue with this pregnancy. This is now a high risk pregnancy and um, you'll need to come in and see me at least once a week. And then he also said, um, you know, many people who find out that their baby is sick, you know, so many different things can happen. Um, but he said many people whose babies are this sick, they also decide to terminate the pregnancy. Um, so he he was really supporting our decision either way, except uh, his support ended there uh, because of the laws in the state. Um, he pretty much referred us to someone else who could refer us. So it wasn't really him helping us get an abortion, which is really unfortunate because his bedside manner is just amazing and you know, the best case scenario in something this awful would have been for 
you know, what I really wanted is, um, you know, to be with a doctor who I knew. And I know that he does DNCs like the uh, it's not really a surgery, but it's a procedure that they do to um, to remove the fetal tissue and the placenta. You know, if a baby has died or or will die or has these conditions, it's it's all the same procedure. Um, even in abortion, even and in, in an abortion clinic, it's the same procedure. Oh, so um, it's just a DNC then? It's a DNC. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I had to remind myself um, when I was getting scared beforehand. I said, no, but I'm, uh, you know, I had been part of this fertility community and I'd seen other people go through a miscarriage and talk about their DNC. I had to remind myself, this is a DNC. Like thousands, probably more of these procedures happen daily and yeah. people are okay. So I had to remind myself. Yes, it has the term abortion on it, but abortion is actually just a medical term that encompasses all the end of a pregnancy. That's right. that's literally the only meaning. And something interesting here in Mexico, um, they use the same word for miscarriage, like the death of a baby, or an abortion for a lifestyle reason or whatever reason. They just say aborto. So sometimes I feel like when I'm filling out a form and um, on the form, like how many abortos, and then I kind of, I can kind of hide behind that word because it is so highly charged and taboo still, um, the whole abortion thing. Um, And then there's this other layer that for mine, it was a, a wanted sick baby and a sick pregnancy um, it could have affected my health too. I can get, I can talk about that too. Um, so I was definitely scared, um, thinking about, you know, what could happen to me if we continue the pregnancy or, um, what if we get to the clinic and uh, will there be protesters? You know, I didn't know what it was going to be like, um, or, or how I would feel after, um, you know, I, I, I talk about, this type of pregnancy loss being very similar to taking a loved one off of life support, just because we make the medical decision that end of life care and removing support is the best, most compassionate decision in this individual case. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve that father that we took off life support or that sister or that child or that wife we, we still grieve that person. And it was the same, you know, for us. Even. Yeah. I, I remember when my dog, I mean, only pet lovers understand this, (laughs) but when my dog was sick and wouldn't eat, I'd be like, don't make me make this decision. Don't do this. I know. I know. No one wants to make that decision. It's not a, no, no. No. You know, either do it on your own and go or because I don't want to have to make it. <laughs> you know, like that's I'm sure that's how you felt, too. I'm, yeah. I'm sure I mean, we pray, we pray or we wish for we hope for a compassionate ending. Right. Or for nature to take its course. And um, that's also something that a, a lot of my clients and people in my community, they grapple with afterwards. Yeah. You know, how can I say I'm a good mother when I prayed for this baby to die? 
but yet sometimes death is the most compassionate choice. And that's a conversation that a lot of people don't want to have or don't want to think yeah. about. But unfortunately, well, it's, it's, kind it's of, the truth. Well, and it, it's very similar to having family conversations that we talk about on the show all the time with of parents course. and brothers, sisters, just even with your spouse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do you want for your end of life? What do you want it to look like? And what do you want your wishes to look like? And what, and it's a difficult conversation to have. It's, it's difficult to face the reality of death. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a necessary thing because when you're actually involved in it, like with you having to make this decision, um, let's face it, guys, it's not easy. And it's probably the hardest thing that you'll have to do in your entire life to make. Um, But it can have a different perspective if you look at it in in the hopes that there wasn't anything more I could do. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of thing. Um, But that's why we talk about having these conversations beforehand so that when things do arise in life. Um, yeah, well, I really, like. oh yeah. And I really like the title that you chose, uh, Compassion in Crisis. That's, that really is what's happening here. It it's, is. It's a compassionate choice that may not even feel like a choice um, no. in a huge crisis, in a huge medical crisis, emotional crisis spiritual you know crisis. we had to oh, everything yeah we had we had to sit there and we had to extrapolate this child's whole entire rest of their existence you know if they would have come through what uh, does it look like right? what what would that what would that even look like even the small survival rate what would what would that look like to raise a, a medically fragile child and just knowing this information in utero it's like opening a pandora's box like once you open it yeah. you cannot put it back in um and some of the numbers that come out of uh europe because there's there's not as um I don't know. It's like pretty crazy in the US how they sort of cover things up or they say, you know, medical privacy, all, all, all of those things. But they've done some studies um, in Europe and uh, like in the case of a T21, which is a Down syndrome diagnosis, nine out of 10 families will choose to terminate the pregnancy. So it's not wow. uncommon. Wow, nine out of 10. Yeah. And when I asked my doctor, um, I said, it was like one of the last things that I said to him at that appointment. I think my husband had already left the room. And I said, what do do most families do? What do most couples do? And he said, almost all of them choose to terminate. Because it's a fear. Well, it's not really. Well, it is a fear, but it's a problem because you don't know what six months is going to look like and what a year is mm-hmm. going to look like and what two years looks like and what five years looks like and so on and so on. Um, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know what, what you're really dealing with. Um, and you don't want some little baby of yours to suffer either. 
So it's such a hard choice to make. Oh, it's such it's such a hard choice, and there's there's very little support in either direction. And um, some of the support for people who decide to carry to term is like very religious, and not everyone is religious, uh, but they may feel that in this pregnancy they want to continue the pregnancy for whatever all of their reasons are, and yeah. they're all valid reasons. And um, the thing, oh, I'm sorry, my laptop is going to die here. Uh oh, uh oh, like a man. Don't don't want to lose it. Um, <laughs> There we go. There we go. She's back. Right, plugged in. <laughs> so here I am. Um, sorry, I, f I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but I forgot too. Um, oh, no, I remembered. I remembered. So, so the two sides, like the two sides of the same coin, right? So when we get this information, when there is a sickness in pregnancy or uh, a dire or life-limiting um, diagnosis, you know, what do, what do we do then? And I've seen, uh, people who share their stories on, on either side of the fence, but really there's no fence. Okay. Let's just say it's two sides of the same coin, the exact same coin. Um, and the comments that people get on both sides, there are no sides, but on both ways that these decisions yeah. can go two are the exact I guess. same. They say, you're a, you're you're a horrible mother for choosing that. How could you do that to your baby? You're selfish. They say the exact same thing no matter which way. So really yeah. so really we're left with you have to make the best decision for this baby in this pregnancy or babies in this pregnancy for your family in this year that we're living in with these resources and yeah. this amount of money that your family has, all of those things and your relationship stability, everything you have to take into account all of those things and your and work then, and, then, and, everything. and then everything and then make the best decision that you can. And your community of, of what support you have as well, right? Mm -hmm. Or don't have. Or don't. Yeah. It's, that's crazy. Um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Oh, no. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah. So how did you, you feel with going through it at the time? All of the emotions. I mean, list an emotion, and I felt it. <laughs> so um, there was guilt. You know, there there was even the self-shaming, you know, like I must be selfish for choosing this. But then I would think, no, but I'm not selfish because I don't want to, you know, put myself through this suffering, put my baby yeah. through this suffering, our family. I'm also thinking about my other child. I'm thinking about my marriage. I'm thinking about even extended family. And there's another medically complicated child in our extended family. And we want to be able to, you know, step in and take care of him as well. So. I mean, <laughs> all yeah. all of the thoughts, all of the feelings, um, deep, deep longing and sadness. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to have to go through this. I didn't no. want to lose my baby. So of course, I, you know, grieved her, and um, 
I was also very traumatized by the way a lot of things happened and the way I was treated throughout the yeah. process, you know, needing to leave my home state to to even access this healthcare. Um, that's that's then, crazy in itself. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's happening now even more in the US. Um, although it always has happened uh, because especially with um, these sorts of cases, uh, the diagnosis may not be found out until the 20 week scan where people are going in and they already have the color scheme picked out for their nursery. They already have a gender reveal party set up for a week later. They've already asked for maternity leave from such and such month to such and such month. They've already put the down, you know, the deposit down on a new home. They're in the process of of moving and then they go into the 20 week scan or even 26 or 30 and there's you know part of the baby's brain hasn't developed or there are no you know the organs are all in the wrong place or there's so many different things that are missing an organ or Or, or or half of the heart didn't develop just devastating yeah because it's very complicated actually isn't it when you see that yeah um, did, what do you think about the, um, spousal part of it? Mm, because that's a great question, you know, it's, it's, you're worried about your own body and, mm-hmm. and the baby, but what about the, the spouse? Because they're also a big part of this. Yeah. I mean, in, in my case, um, so I'm in a heterosexual, um, relationship. So male, female. Uh, so I was seeing my husband, you know, move through grief in a very different way yeah. um, than I was. And then, you know, we were both like, why aren't you doing it this way? But at one point there was a huge amount of acceptance that we both had for each other, just that our grieving process was going to be unique. And, um, we were each going to go about it in a more masculine or more feminine way. And that was okay. We were just different people. And then there's this other layer of the fact that he didn't lose a baby through his body. He didn't right. go through a postpartum period. Right. He, Your hormones he, went are back, he went back to work right away. He actually wanted to, it was, uh, you know, like a welcome distraction to yeah. be back to work and to work a lot and to, you know, think, well, I couldn't prevent that, but at least I can provide for my family. Yeah. At least I can do this. And, um, you know, there was, there was one point and, and this happens, I think for all genders, um, there was one point where he was drinking a lot of whiskey and I was thinking, oh no, is this going to develop into something else that then we're going to have to deal with? And all of those things come up, Yeah, all of those things come up. And I think for men, uh, there's less support you know, people would ask him, how's your wife? How is she doing? Well, how's he doing too? He's lost a baby as well. Um, And then, you know, some men in general may process um, emotions in a different way. They just want to be together and like do something together instead of like talking about it and talking about it and talking about it again, which which is just a different way of processing things. Um, so yeah. he would see me like joining all these groups and wanting to do support groups and wanting to, and like texting people and like making new friends and just like talking about, talking about, talking about it. 
but I realized it was okay that I was seeking outside support because he wasn't the one. He was also, you know, deeply grieving. Um, and unfortunately, his his dad died two weeks before our child did. Oh, no. So it was, you know, he was also mess. going through, yeah, he was also going through this other grief process that wasn't mine. So there was a lot of compassion that we both had to have, you know, on the either on either side and just see, well, this is going to be unique. Um, he, sh- he shared with me um, like some years later, which is which is good. I'm glad he didn't share it with me at the time. But <laughs> um, but he shared with me later. He said, yeah, there would be times where I would just think like this is still going on for her. Yeah. But uh, he was very gracious and he never, you know, he never pushed me to go any faster. I think it was more just surprise um, and, and love for me. He, he wanted me to be okay. Well, for sure. And he wanted me to, yeah, to be able to function in life. But in and it crisis, can get scary. Yeah, it can get scary. Are there any men that kind of get up and leave and can't cope with it? Like, I'm sure you've dealt with somewhere it it causes so much turmoil within the relationship too. Yeah. There are some statistics that show that um, the loss of a child, you know, in pregnancy or I, I imagine even, you know, if the child is older, it may even be a higher percentage of marriages that just don't make it. It's a lot of stress on a relationship. That's a lot of working together through it. Like, you both have to be totally um, successful at, at making a point in your relationship. I mean, marriage is hard enough, but you don't need any extra crisis in the midst of it. Um, you know, and you happen, have to right? be a team. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something. And I say yeah. that something's going to happen in your life. So why not have a better plan mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that you can at least when you can't think straight, because let me tell you, you can't think straight in a crisis. Your body just changes like your oh, head. Yeah. I always talk about how your head is like, why can't I think like it's like this fog goes into your head and your brain disappears. And I think I always talk about trying to, you know, get your brain out of the air to come bring it back into my head so I can think straight again. It's, it's a weird concept, but it's the only way I know how to have people understand it. Because, you know, talking about it beforehand when it isn't happening is totally different than talking about it after. Totally different. And I think that's why support is so important. Yeah. Because different people in the family or even, um, you know, like the further out nuclear family um will need different types of support. And I think the person who goes through the pregnancy loss is going to need more. (laughs) And, and that's okay for one person to need more or different support. Um, I, I got a doula myself. um, And I don't think she ever met with him. So it was mainly for you, like right away, or it was me. It was mainly for me. Um, to help with the grief and to talk about, um, you know, trying to conceive again and um, the f- all the feelings that were coming up and, 
different ways to honor my motherhood. She did a postpartum uh, ritual with me with a, with a bath. And yeah, I mean, that could have helped my husband as well, but we did other rituals together. We went in a sweat lodge together. Um, that's his trade. So he has a massage place with a sweat lodge. Um, Is it like a sauna? Yeah. Yeah. Like a sauna. Yeah. Where you go in and sweat. Where you go in and let it out that way. Sweat sweat it out. Yeah. Just something through the body because the body has been through so much and the mind is so tired. Like you said, when, when we're in crisis, it's, it shut, it shuts down. Yeah. And there's no understanding anything. It's like, don't make me make a decision about anything because <laughs> I can't make it. <laughs> and, but it's, I mean, you just can't have that laughing feeling at the time, you know, in a crisis either. You can't, it's, it's just so serious and so sad and just something you just don't want to do. It's like, I picture like a kid who's like two having a temper tantrum, you know, because you've told them that they have to do something and they don't want to do it. They're just, "Ah, I don't want to do it, you know, kind of thing. Well, that's how we are too. I think when we don't want to make that kind of decision that hurts. Oh yeah. It hurts so much. And there's so much anger. (laughs) That was another feeling that I, that I had to process that I still process. Why me? The why me kind of thing. Too. Definitely that question um, or just the injustice of, you know, why or or even being jealous of people who had a natural miscarriage, you know, although that's a whole other trauma on its own. You know, some people who have a miscarriage and then they, you know, birth the baby into their to- home toilet, you know, unexpectedly. And I mean, yeah. Or have a natural birth and be, just be sad because they had a baby and you didn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was I, very hard to see pregnant bellies, birth announcements, pregnancy announcements, um, or just to hear, you know, about family members being pregnant. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking, how could you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's not about me. But the, but those feelings and the rage, yeah, <laughs> very, very strong rage. After and then after like you this. make the decision, and, mm-hmm, the regret, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There can be regret, doubt, guilt. Um, and I think that that happens in all grief. That's something that brought me some solace is taking part in different grief communities even yeah. like broad grief. So all different types of deaths and losses that people were grieving. Yeah. And I would see them say, I just wish I could have done more. I feel guilty for this about my dad, or I'm feeling so guilty, my son. And I realized, oh, okay, it's not necessarily the fact that I had to make this decision and that I have so much guilt about it being an abortion yeah. or something like that. It's just we love these people and we wanted more time with them. Yeah, that's right. Even if you can't see them yet or did see them, whichever it is, it's just, just difficult all the way around. (laughs) Yeah. 
do, no do one, this no one wants to lose a loved one yeah no matter no. how when why even if someone is 110 years old well isn't that more to grieve now you're grieving all that time that you know the yeah. long relationship that you had with them well there's i know no, even there's no easy way in this <laughs> no and i and i I hate to bring this up too, but for pet lovers, when they lose a cat or a dog and they've only had it for a week, it just, it kills the inside of somebody's heart right from that point too. I mean, it's just, when you love something, it doesn't matter how long you've loved it. It just seems to hurt. It doesn't matter how long. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you found your dream job and then you were fired after a week, you're going to grieve that too. Yeah, I think I think as a society, we're, you know, Western society, I would say we're a very grief illiterate society. We don't know yeah. how to handle these things. There's no time and space for it. It's just get back to work. Yeah. You had your you had your two sick days. <laughs> yeah, really you're done days. now. <laughs> we, 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 we need. Yeah. Aren't you done now? Oh, or even if you had six weeks off or two months or six months, the grief doesn't go away. No, it sure doesn't. Um, what about, um, why did you think that you took that then? And what made you decide to go into being a doula for helping people? I just remember sitting there alone. They wouldn't let my husband be by my side. Um, you know, in the pre-op area, which yeah. they have, they have their reasons. Um, but it was just so lonely, so solitary. And then even afterwards, like looking and um, even through the process, my, my, my doctors, uh, you know, none of the nurses, even the counselor at the abortion clinic, none of them even mentioned, you know, uh, there's an acronym TFMR. And if you search for it, you can find lots of different resources for this type of pregnancy loss. They didn't even use pregnancy loss. They just said your abortion, your procedure. It's like, okay, that's one aspect of it. But if someone has a miscarriage, it's not that you got a DNC. You had a miscarriage and you lost a baby. And that's the emotional part of it that needs to be tended to. So yeah. it's that it's that tending to that I wanted to be part of. Um, also, I felt like uh, some Facebook groups really saved my life. This big one, Ending a Wanted Pregnancy. Uh, they welcomed me in. They told their stories. They, you know, commented on my stories, different, you know, dates that we would remember together, rituals we wanted to do to, to honor and remember our babies and our grief. Yeah. And it was welcome there. And they would use words like, I'm so sorry your baby died. Not, well, that was your abortion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they would say, oh, you know, did you name your baby? Yes, we did. We named her Clara. And um, I just saw the, the life-saving quality of those communities so I wanted to create my own and uh, bring more support because one Facebook group isn't enough. You know, we need hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. has a different brand and style of, of healing. And so um, we need more spaces. We need more safe spaces where we can talk about these things. 
so that's that's where I started. I started with groups, with live groups, like running grief circles. And also um, now I have hundreds of people in uh, the TFMR support circle. Awesome. On Facebook. Yeah. That's a great tip too. Um, let me um, quickly say, everybody, if you haven't liked share and subscribe to our channel. What are you waiting for exactly? Don't miss out because we're going to have more and more guests on our shows each and every week. So don't forget to like, share and subscribe just down below in the corner there somewhere. <laughs> Over on the right hand side of your screen is just like it and then it gets out to more people so that Sabrina and I can help more people. You know, there's so many people out there that, because the word abortion, I think that's probably why they use it. Um, it's just so misused, um, I find, because it's it's like an object. It's like a pen, like this is mm. an abortion. Where, like you're saying, mm. it's actually a loss. So they make it like it's nothing, you know? Mm. So, yeah, yeah I, I find that part of it misleading um, because abortion is, is more than that, like you said. Definitely. And even in the case of maybe we could call them lifestyle abortions, I think those decisions are still made with the greatest love. They're, you know thinking decades ahead and saying, I, I can't do this to this potential baby, not right now. Yeah. Um, or whether you know. or not you make the decision to, because of your own situation or at the time and what that would look like, or if you made that choice because you don't think you could, I mean, that's another avenue to go is to give it to someone else, of course, but that's a hard decision to make as well because you want I mean, it's just whatever your inner feelings are. I think it I think it overlaps with it being a medical decision because continuing a pregnancy is not an easy thing. No. And giving it up would no. even be harder. So it's not for everybody just to think, well, there's lots of people looking for a baby. Well, there are, but the choice is the person that has it growing in them. And, you know... <laughs> It should be their choice to, and I'm sure we'll have some comments down below about that one, <laughs> but everybody has their perspective. And I think once you're in the situation, yeah, it, it's a whole lot of, it's a whole different case. It's whole, yeah. Like I was around. saying, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to get an abortion. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get pregnant so I can get an abortion. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking I'm going to get pregnant and plan this and I want to bring a child into my family. Yeah. So do you also help husbands as well or partners that didn't actually bear the child? Yeah. So partners are welcome in the Facebook group. Um, and so far the live groups that I've had, um, I have done some one-on-one -on -one or maybe like couples sessions um, to help the partners as well. And um, the live groups that I've had, they've been the people who carry the baby so far. But there, there is interest in um, couples groups too, and I and I yeah. know that 
you know, we can all benefit from having more support. Yeah. Because you're trying to analyze it in your head, it just becomes overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's not of all something, the feeling. Yeah, not something that we can think ourselves out of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not something our mothers prepared us for. No, no. And I think, you know, thinking about a backup plan in this situation, it's very difficult. I, I think it's more of a society broad systemic change that needs to happen. Um, like in the books, what to expect when you're expecting. There's yeah. like one tiny paragraph about miscarriage. And I think they might say something like, you know, stillbirth is rare. Well, it's not that rare. It's one in 60. So, you know, where's some more information or why don't they have a page in the back with, you know, different miscarriage and TFMR and um, stillbirth support spaces? Why don't why don't they have it there? And then um, also, I think more doctors and nurses and in abortion clinics, this is happening more and more. Um, I'm hearing from clients that they they are having people use TFMR with them. So yeah. just to give them an idea that, you know, this designation exists, this type of pregnancy loss exists, um, and giving a name to it. When I found out that there was a name and like a whole set of acronyms, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not the only wow. one who's been through <laughs> yeah. this. Like there's a whole language around it and there are whole communities around it and other people who have been through this. Uh, and there, there are more numbers out of, um, out of Europe and the UK, uh, that have shown that TFMR is three times more common than stillbirth and infant death combined. Wow. So we can extrapolate that out to something like one in 50 pregnancies. It's not, it's not uncommon. It's more common than an ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. That's craziness. It's um, a huge number. <laughs> huge. And I'm sure it's always been there because I know mm -hmm. my grandmother mm -hmm. had 12 children, but one of them was stillborn yeah. and she had a, you know, a miscarriage of that. So, yeah. um, yeah, even back in the early 1900s, it was, I'm sure it hasn't changed much really. Oh yeah. And I'm sure there were, you know, pregnancy conditions that would crop up or, you know, um, and then it was recommended at that time. I think it was called a uh, therapeutic abortion. Oh, interesting. Why did they name it that? Do you think just to, um, you know, distinguish it from, uh, an abortion lifestyle abortion, I imagine. So right. it's for, for, you know, for the health, although I think all abortions are. Yes, health, in some shape or form. Health reasons as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And let's face it, we we want I'm sure that each and every one wants the best for themselves, which is part of them, that baby. And yeah, and their choices are personal. Yeah, that was another thing that I went through um, you know, this just really shone a light on the fact that 
I'm not just an individual. I am a part of this family system and these community systems. And what happens to me or my child, like it affects, it affects all of it. You know, it's affected the, the, the birth order of my children and the spacing between my other living children. You know, I see one child is so tall and the other is still so little. And I'm like, Oh, there's, there's someone missing in between there. Yeah. And, and I guess it's even harder when you have another child because you don't want that child to feel that you're spending all your thought process and time with this vacant entity that is lost and not with them. So it'd be hard to balance that too. It's a, it's a balancing act for sure. Although I have found that my oldest daughter, who was four at the time when we lost this baby, she was very aware. And we had had these conversations about, you know, the death of her grandfather. And then, you know, her little sister died. So death was around. Um, And she's actually been one of my closest companions in grief. And she likes to take part in the rituals and, um, you know, saying the baby's name and drawing her pictures and um here in mexico we we put up altars for day of the dead and um so sometimes she'll you know leave little toys on the altar (laughs) for for her sister that's cute keeping that memory alive yeah yeah and she she's actually the one who uh talks about it the most with uh with the other sister, her, oh, her, nice. living, her living sister. She says, you know, you have another sister, but she died. And she and so, so sometimes I hear their, I just overhear their conversations. And, um, and then recently I, I picked up my youngest from daycare and then the teacher pulled me aside and she said, no, I just want to tell you what your daughter was talking about in school today. And she was telling us, you know, the baby and the baby's name and this or that. And, and it was okay. She wasn't crying. She was just, you know, she was just telling her story and that this is part of the family story. And, um, and that teacher said, you know, I just want to, to thank you for, you know, raising her in this way and having open conversations and, you know, you're doing a good job, mom. So that was really sweet oh, to have that, that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and for the teacher to recognize it too. Yeah. 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 Cause I think some people might get freaked out and like, oh, we shouldn't talk about this. Oh, I don't know what the other parents are going to think or. Yeah. Or children or whatever. Or, yeah. Is this going to be yeah. traumatizing? Well, think about how traumatizing it was for me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and 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 our children are still missing their siblings, so that's exactly it's just a fact of life. That's right. But you can imagine how difficult it must have been, like in the early 1900s or in the mm-hmm. 1800s, when there was no support and no, there, there was just nothing. I mean, you only have family. To to have around you. And I don't think that's enough Mm. unless they had a community, maybe a tribe would have been better. Like if it was, you know, um, New Zealand tribe or, or a tribe in the Africa or something where you had more of a community effort, but if you're out on a farm in the early late 1800s, I can't, you know, 
think that anybody's going to be helpful. <laughs> you know, they probably just said, oh, just get back out into the, you have work to do kind of idea. Mm -hmm. So it must have been tough. If it's tough now, you can imagine how tough it must have been. Um, what kind of final message would you like to give the listeners? Uh, I would like to tell them that you are not alone. If you have had some sort of diagnosis like this, you are not alone. Um, you know, whichever decision you've made, you're not alone. And there are, there is hope in the grief. And I think being in community, being in spaces where you can see other people who are farther down the road, um, they can give you hope. So definitely um, find your community. And if you find yourself in one and it's not the right fit, keep looking. And I know that that's really hard in grief, you know, to find the right resources because we're already so exhausted. Yeah. Um, but, but just, you know, keep looking because you deserve that support. You really do. And you, you deserve people around you tending to you and being part of that web of support. Understanding how you're feeling inside and outside, I guess, so to speak. That's very lovely. Well, thank you, Sabrina, for bringing all that information to everyone today. That was very, very lovely. I really appreciate it. It was a tough topic, but needs to be spoken about more and that's why we're here to help others um, you know see how we can progress through this journey and that's what it is it's a journey that you probably didn't choose <laughs> it was thrown at you so to speak and just like everything else that happens to us it's just thrown at you say so here now you deal yeah oh yeah <laughs> so I, I really appreciate talking about this kind of thing with everybody and um, hopefully we can help just one person. That's always my goal. If we help a person understand it or um, reach out or whatever that might look like. And I do have Sabrina's links down below in the description box for anybody to reach out to Sabrina or myself as well. So, you know, guys, we, I, I hate ending the topic because we could really talk about it all day long. It could be an all day conference, literally, um, because you could go different angles about it. And maybe we can have Sabrina come back and talk about some of her, her clients that she's worked with and, and feelings and emotions hmm. and things like that in different aspects. That would also be also interesting so comment down below if you want to see Sabrina come back and talk about a little bit more about how to get through situations like this. And if you have someone in your life that you could maybe share this with to help them, if it helps them um, get through the day or the week or the month. Uh, that's all we do is I always talk about just get through the day and tomorrow you'll be at a different day and um that's all you have to do day by day. So, you know, guys, we are are not Superman in this world, but we act like we are because nothing's going to happen, right? But as you know, it's far from the truth with uh, natural disasters as well as the cancer epidemic and, of course, COVID. 
keeps raising its yuckiness head out of the cement every year. And um, I, I, I just don't know when we can stop with all of the mess and the war of, of everything, the crazy wars and the wildfires every year and the floods and the hurricanes. So, but don't forget to like, share, and subscribe with that uh, love button down below for everybody to be able to share it with others. And if you're thinking about that special someone right now that you have in your mind, and you, because you don't know how many birthdays that you have left, and you don't know how many birthdays they have left, and you don't know what tomorrow might bring, so reach out to them, call them, speak to them, knock on their door, FaceTime them, whatever it is, and tell them how much you love and care about them today, because you don't know what tomorrow might bring. And that being said, I always end with Carol Burnett because she's, and I, I know Sabrina, I'm sure knows who Carol Burnett is. She's a, a great lady who's brought a lot of humor and empathy into our world of with her shows and who she is and what she stands for. So I always end with Carol Burnett. And I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song Seems we just get started, and before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long. So long, everybody. Thank you so much, Sabrina, for coming on our show today. Thank you, Tina. You're very welcome. And love and kisses to everybody. I, I, I know that, you know, if you've had a great comment down below, I will definitely answer it. And um, I'm, we're both here for you guys. So reach out and we'll see you on the next show. Stay tuned and make sure you press that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any shows. I'll see you later. Till next time, stay safe and be kind.